Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Episode 49 of Sorallo Sports Talk and the Georgia Bulldogs are national champions. We're going to get to the wild week 18 to cap off an amazing NFL season. We're going to get to the wild card round. We're going to preview the six games next weekend. I'm going to reveal my best bets for each and every one of those six games. But we've got to start with the game that just ended. The college football national championship and the Georgia Bulldogs, Kirby Smart, they have finally overtaken Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. Nick Saban assistants now 2-25 all-time against their former mentor, the Georgia Bulldogs under Kirby Smart, 0-4 against Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide, now 1-4 with that one being a national championship. I I mean, I don't even know where to start with this game, right? You've got Stetson Bennett, and just the gutsy performance. I mean, in the words of Bill Raftery, just displaying some huge onions in this one. You've got the physicality of Georgia on both sides of the ball. The defense just wreaking havoc on Bryce Young and the Crimson Tide offensively. You know, to me, the most indicative play of this entire game, the play that best displayed the way Georgia came out, was actually not one of Stetson Bennett's big bombs, not the 40-yard touchdown pass down the sideline. It wasn't the cherry on top, that pick six by Ringo at the end of the game. To me, the most indicative play of the Bulldogs' style this game was a seven-yard run by Zamir White inside five minutes to go in the game where his offensive line just absolutely ganged up behind him and turned a three-yard run into a physical, gutsy, seven yard run to me that was the play that was like all right this is this is Georgia coming out tonight and telling Alabama yeah you've gotten the best of us a couple times you beat us four years ago in a national championship game but tonight we're going to be tougher than you we're going to be meaner than you and we're going to bully you that run was all of that captured by one single play and then you've got the other plays right you've got Stetson Bennett I mean how about this guy right had three scholarship offers out of high school, ended up going to Georgia and making the team as a preferred walk-on. And he goes out there and almost coughed up the entire game, right? That fumble deep in his own territory, recovered by Alabama, that could have been it. Bennett could have put his tail between his legs and given up. He's the walk-on. Bryce Young was the five-star recruit, Mr. All-Everything, going to Alabama going there to follow in the footsteps of Tua, who won a national title against Georgia, led the comeback. Mac Jones, who won a national title a year ago. It's Bryce Young's turn. Stetson Bennett, yeah, you just didn't have a shot. What did he do after that crucial fumble? He didn't throw an incomplete pass the rest of the game. On the next drive, went three of three, including a 40-yard bomb. By the way, Stetson Bennett, the first quarterback, to go up against Alabama and throw two 40-plus yard passes in the same game since 2016. 
I mean, Alabama does not give up big plays, right? They haven't given up two 40-plus yard passes in over five years. Stetson Bennett went out and was the guy to break that trend. Broke a lot of trends tonight and did so not because he was the most talented quarterback on the field, but because he was maybe the toughest player on the field. Uh, I mean, the Georgia Bulldogs, they don't win this game without being the toughest team out there tonight. Because when it came to skill, when it came to talent, Alabama had him beat. Now look, Bama took a big hit. They lost John Mechie in their last game against Georgia in the SEC title game, their second best receiver. Tonight, losing Jamison Williams, who is in all likelihood going to be a first-round draft pick in April. That was a huge blow, right? Don't make any mistake about it. If Jamison Williams plays, there may be a different outcome in this one. But at the end of the day, Georgia was just tougher all night long. By the way, I talk about in the trenches how well they played and, you know, the offensive line on that seven-yard run by Zamir White, who, by the way, they call Zeus and for good reasoning. I mean, he was a bully in and of his own right tonight. But you talk about their play in the trenches. They had Bryce Young running for his life every single play. I mean, it was an exact opposite, a total 180 from the last time these teams met. When Georgia, who going into the game was expected to do everything that they did tonight, well, Georgia did nothing, right? They didn't penetrate Bama's O-line, and their O-line gave in to Bama numerous times in that one. Well, tonight, Georgia did what we expected them to do back in the SEC title game. They were in Bama's backfield almost every single play, and their offensive line just pushed Bama's front four on defense back play after play. I mean, the only time Bama really created great pressure was coming off the edges. And of course, you know, one of those edge backers that Bama has, Will Anderson, I mean, he's going to be a household name in a couple years, you know, when he's in the NFL wreaking havoc on pro quarterbacks. I mean, his burst of speed, there must have been two or three plays in this game where you were expecting an offsides flag to be thrown, but it was just number 31, Will Anderson, perfectly timing the snap and getting in Georgia's backfield in the blink of an eye. I mean, blew up Stenson Bennett, blew up a trick run play where he threw Bennett to the ground, and Bennett had handed it off just in time, but still Georgia took a loss on the play. Will Anderson was the reason that when Kirby Smart was being interviewed going into the locker room at halftime, he said, we've got to stop going negative on our first play. You know, all these second and 15, second and 19s, we can't be doing that. That was because of Will Anderson in the second half. Georgia was not moving backwards. I think they had one negative play early in the third quarter to set themselves up with a second and super long. And from that point on, Georgia just turned it up. You know, my favorite moment from that post-game celebration, it wasn't Stetson Bennett's interview. It wasn't anyone's interview. Kirby Smart, it was the embrace at midfield between Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. And how many times have we seen that in Kirby Smart's heartbroken, right? And Nick Saban's out there consoling him and You know, four times leading into tonight, these two guys have gone against each other head-to-head. Four times Nick Saban's gotten the best of his old assistant. But Nick Saban, and give him credit where it's due, because we've seen Nick Saban in the past not be the most gracious loser. Nick Saban went up to Kirby Smart and said with a big smirk on his face, man, you kicked our ass in that fourth quarter tonight. And that is just a thousand percent true. Because Georgia did not dominate them all game long. They made plays. They were tough all game long. And that toughness translated into just them doing enough to hang around. Even when it was 9-6, Bama was outplaying them. But Georgia was playing bend-don't-break defense, right? Bama was marching down the field, and then all of a sudden, they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. And at the end of the day, 
I believe that those first four field goals, right? Bama being down 13-12 at one point, settling for a field goal on each of those scoring possessions, that's what cost them the game. Their inability to get into the end zone on their first four scoring drives is ultimately what this one came down to. Because Bama's defense couldn't hold it up for 60 minutes. I mean, this was a good defense, but don't forget, this was also a defense that gave up 22 points to Auburn, that gave up 35 points to Arkansas. Alabama's defense this year was not their usual Nick Saban all-world defense. I mean, you know, Will Anderson, I talked about him and how dominant he was this year, but he was really head and shoulders above the rest of his teammates, whereas Georgia had 11 guys out there on defense, and we can probably expect that at least seven of them are going to be on NFL rosters in the next two to three years. I mean, that's the kind of defense we were dealing with from the Georgia Bulldogs, a defense that going into the SEC title game, you remember I threw around this stat a few weeks ago, they were allowing on average 6.9 points per game throughout their first 12 games of the season. This Georgia defense tonight was everything that we saw in those first 12 games and then again in the semifinal against Michigan. And look, it just shows us that Georgia was for real. The best thing that could have happened to the Georgia Bulldogs this season was getting blown up and blown out by Alabama in the SEC championship game. Because that made people question, myself included, made us question their toughness, right? Was Georgia really the tough, big, bad boy team with the best defense we've ever seen? Or did they just have a really weak strength of schedule? They got Clemson week one, and that was an upset, right? Georgia was an underdog in that one. But Clemson had a really disappointing start to the season. Now, they finished well. They finished 10-3. and three, But Clemson, I believe, at one point was 5-3 and three this year. So was Georgia just the beneficiary of Clemson on a down year? I mean, then the SEC East, you know, they blew Florida out. We thought Florida was going to be good. That's another game, right? Bama only beat Florida by two points. Georgia blew them out of the water. They blew out Kentucky 30-13 to in a game that was 30-7 to up until the final play. I mean, Tennessee wasn't even a contest, right? Georgia crushed them. Tennessee hung in in the first quarter, and then for the final 45 minutes, Georgia dominated them. So maybe it's like, hey, Georgia's just got a pretty pretty weak schedule. I think their best win at the end of the year was a, probably a toss-up between Clemson or Arkansas. And I'm talking in the regular season, of course, not counting Michigan and definitely not counting tonight. But making us question their toughness, that could have been a blessing in disguise, proved actually to be a blessing in disguise. Not could have been, it was. That may be the best thing that happened to Georgia all year because they came out tonight and whether it was the first quarter or the fourth quarter, they were tougher than Alabama the entire game. It's what, like I said, it's what enabled them to hang in the game when Bama was outplaying them and ultimately what enabled them to outlast Bama and just embarrass them, just bully the Crimson Tide in those final 15 minutes of play. I I mean, it all comes back to to the trenches. Stenson Bennett was absolutely incredible. Just gutsy, hung in the pocket after taking some brutal hits early after that awful fumble when he just got totally wrecked and got the ball knocked out. I mean, still hung in there and continued to make plays. The dual running back threat they had with White being the power back and Cook, that what, 60, 70 yard run he had as the scat back. I mean, they were great. Bowser, or Bowers, I'm sorry, I call him Bowser because he's big, tough, and strong like Bowser. I mean, he looked like Bowser on that touchdown on that little tight end screen. I mean, Georgia was 
tough. And the dogs did it. The dogs finally did it. Your 2022 national champions, Georgia Bulldogs. Man, that just sounds good. It sounds good not to say Alabama for a year. Not to say Clemson. I mean, LSU a few years ago was fun. They've obviously come back down to earth. But to not say Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, that's fun. And the Georgia Bulldogs, 41 years in the making, were the tougher team tonight and ultimately the better team tonight. When we come back on Sorallo Sports Talk, the wild finish to the NFL season, week 18, overtime games, almost a couple of ties, upsets, we've got it all. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo, right here on Sorallo Sports Talk. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk. And how about that ending to the NFL regular season? on Sunday. I mean, what are the odds that the first week 18 in NFL regular season history will probably go down and forever be known as the best week 18 in NFL history? I mean, how could it not, right? You've got the Pittsburgh Steelers who were left for dead, who had no chance essentially two weeks ago at making the playoffs. They sneak in with a seven seed because of an overtime win in a game that, by the way, almost ended in the Steelers' second tie of the year. You've got the overtime madness in the 4.25 p.m. afternoon uh, window, Eastern time, with San Francisco and the L.A. Rams, and that game that completely shook up the NFC playoff picture and locked in the 49ers when the Saints thought, with them beating the Falcons and the Niners down 17-0, the Saints thought that they were going to the playoffs. And then, a third straight window with an overtime game, Sunday night football, another game, That almost ended in a tie. That almost ended in three teams being tied at 9, 7, and 1 in the AFC. And the Pittsburgh Steelers having to sweat out Sunday Night Football after doing their part, after beating the Ravens, and pretty much being guaranteed a playoff spot as long as there was a winner and loser of the Raiders-Chargers game. The Steelers were 30 seconds away of being the odd team out out of a three-way 9, 7, and 1 tie and missing the playoffs after enjoying about, I don't know, a six-hour window where they thought they were locked in to play Kansas City. I mean, odds had already come out for the Chiefs-Steelers game. They came out during the Sunday night football game, and then all of a sudden, the Steelers may not make the playoffs, right? Vegas is taking bets on the Chiefs and the Steelers, and the Steelers almost didn't even make it. it. It was the craziest day of the NFL season and how fitting it came in the first week 18 ever. But we've got to talk about that Sunday night football game. I mean, I cannot believe the way that that game ended. Brandon Staley, who I thought a few weeks ago, maybe before losing to Houston, was a coach of the year candidate in year one, right? Right up there with Matt LaFleur, of course, in Green Bay, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. I mean, Brandon Staley had to be in the discussion, the Chargers had played two great games against the Chiefs, beat them once, lost the other in overtime. They were almost a shoe in, like I said, leading into that Houston game 
uh, to win double-digit games this year, to make the playoffs. And, and then what a collapse and what an awful choke job and coaching job by Brandon Staley. First of all, look, the Chargers went five of six on fourth down conversions, which is absolutely amazing. The one that they didn't get, they should not have even gone for in the first place. And I know, look, analytics say if you go for fourth down on X amount of yardage, I don't care. All right, because football says that when you're on your own 18-yard line, you don't go for it on fourth down. You punt the damn ball and trust your defense. That shows, by the way, Brandon Staley got hired because he was the Rams' defensive coordinator. That shows how little he actually trusts his own defense with the LA Chargers, that he went for it on fourth down from his own 18 and got stopped. Now, thankfully, his defense ironically bailed his ass out and they held the Raiders to just a field goal. But you give Vegas the ball on the Chargers' 18-yard line, you're guaranteeing them points the second they get the ball. And whose fault is that? It's not the Chargers' fault, right? It's not Herbert's fault or Eckler's fault for not converting on that fourth down. That is entirely Brandon Staley's fault for even going for it in the first place. And then look, the Chargers, don't get me wrong, right? Their players did not play well. That game should not have gone to overtime. The fact that they went on a 15-0 run in the final five minutes of regulation was absolutely bonkers. The amount of fourth down conversions they had because apparently the entire LA Chargers wide receiving core forgot how to catch a football last night. I mean, Justin Herbert was throwing in bullets right in tight windows on first down, second down, third down. I saw more drops in the fourth quarter last night than I think I've seen all season. And that's watching Red Zone, watching every damn game all season long. I don't think I saw as many drops as I did in the fourth quarter last night by the LA Chargers. And look, you know, their players did not play a good game by any stretch of the imagination. But this game, this loss, any way you slice it, it comes back to Brandon Staley. And, you know, we talk about going for it on fourth down that deep in your own territory on your own 18-yard line and how that's inexcusable and goes against every every gut instinct of any football guy. You know, I, I, like, like I said, I don't care what the analytics say. If you're around the game of football, fourth down and more than maybe two inches on your own 18, you're punting the ball away. But that might not even be the worst call Brandon Staley made in this game. And, and this is why, look, I'm not going to call for his job, right? I, I know just yesterday we saw a ton of coaches get fired, some of them surprising, and we'll get to that momentarily. But while I'm not going to call for his job, he really removed himself from the coach of the year discussion, conversation with some poor coaching down the stretch, losing a game to Houston that as a team expecting to make the playoffs is a must win. That was inexcusable. And then that timeout he called, which you can argue that timeout may have cost his team the playoffs. Because if he doesn't call that timeout, the Vegas Raiders seemed perfectly content letting that clock run down and giving the Chargers a chance at a tie. Because a tie meant both teams were going to the playoffs. The Steelers were going to come down from their six hours of jubilation and be the odd team out. But the Chargers and Raiders with the tie, they were both going to the playoffs. And Brandon Staley calling that timeout gave the Raiders plenty of time to actually go for the win, which of course they ultimately did. I I mean, you know, again, it's not a fireable offense because it's year one for him, but that decision calling the time out there, that kept his guys out of the postseason. And again, I'm not going to say that, 
you know, maybe Vegas would have called a timeout later on and, and tried a field goal. It would have been probably a little further, but who knows? I'm just saying that would have been in their hands, right? Staley calling a timeout there took over and said, hey, Vegas, we're going to give you a shot to win it. We can't win it. We're not going to get the ball back, but we're going to give you a shot too. And I just, I understand hating ties, but in that position, when it's the difference between actually making the playoffs and not, take the damn tie, go to the playoffs. I mean, that was just an atrocious coaching job by Brandon Staley, but he'll have a job next year with the Chargers, and rightfully so. Like I said, it was only year one. Matt Nagy won't have a job next year, at least not with the Bears. He's been fired. Mike Zimmer, after a long and I would say mostly successful, a lot of mediocre years in there, but you know, got to an NFC title game, a long, good run with the Vikings. Mike Zimmer is now out of Minnesota. Vic Fangio, of course, he was the first one to get canned, but the most surprising, Brian Flores out of Miami. Now, I don't understand this move for the life of me. There have been plenty of reports that Brian Flores and Dolphins GM Chris Greer do not get along at all. And honestly, if I'm Flores, you know, I wouldn't like Chris Greer either, right? Drafted the wrong quarterback for me. And, you know, if you've listened to my my show over the past couple of years, you know I've been on the Justin Herbert's going to be a better pro than Tua train for over two years. So this isn't just hindsight being 2020. But other questionable decisions like cutting Kyle Van Noy going into the season this year after Van Noy had a pretty good year last year with Miami. And then what did he do when he got cut? Went back to New England had a really good year with New England along with Matt Judon and that Pat's destructive defense that they had for most of the season. I mean, don't make any mistake about it, right? The Patriots defense is the reason that they went 10 and 7 that they're going to the playoffs. Miami just as easily could have been the 10 and 7 team going to the playoffs in second place in the AFC East. But some bad personnel decisions not by Flores, by Chris Greer. I mean, look at what Flores has done there, right? If you break down his 3 years as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Year one, they went 5-11. and 11. That was the tank for Tua team when everyone thought Tua was going to be the number one pick in the draft, not number five. And people legitimately thought that the Dolphins that year could have gone 0-16, right? I think 2-14, and 3-13 was realistic, but people thought that Dolphins team could have gone 0-16. They ended up going 5-11 and 11 and beating the Patriots in Tom Brady's last regular season game as a New England Patriot, I think that game set the tone for New England losing to Tennessee the following week in the wild card round. I mean, Flores has had a knack for beating the Patriots. Did it both games this year. Went 4-2 and two against his old coach, Bill Belichick, in six games as the Dolphins head coach. To me, that's not a guy you fire. So that's year one, right? They went 5-11, and 11, ended on a high note. Year two, expectations are not much higher. It's two his rookie year. You're going to see a mix of Fitzmagic at quarterback and Tua. The Dolphins' over-under projected win total from Vegas was 6. They went 10-6, and and they just missed the playoffs. And and look, my philosophy is that back when it was a 16-game season, no team who wins 10 games should miss the playoffs, right? When you were dealing with the 16-game schedule, 10-6 and is such an accomplishment in my eyes. It's such a great season. That for Miami, especially in a year when they expanded the playoffs to seven teams in each conference, it was fluky for them to miss the playoffs. They should have been a playoff team last year. Then this year, higher expectations. The over-under total is nine and a half. And of course, they started terribly, started one and seven, but finished the year eight and one, 
to go 9-8. First team ever, by the way. Seven-game losing streak, seven-game winning streak in the same year. They go 2-0 against Belichick and the Patriots. They go 4-2 against their own division. And Flores gets canned. Now, look, I know Flores was awful the first half of this season. But if you want to break all three seasons down in halves, I mean, he has been great for, I would say, five-sixths of his coaching career with the Miami Dolphins. He had one bad half season in three years. The Dolphins exceeded or essentially matched expectations in every season. This was the only year they finished below their projected win total, and they only did so by half a game. And for him to be the scapegoat, it's absolutely terrible. I mean, I'm over here, a freaking New York Giants fan, experiencing, I I used to say the Giants' worst years since the 70s, but everyone I talk to who lived through the 70s as a Giants fan says this is even worse than that. So I'm experiencing the worst stretch in the history of the New York Giants. And I have to endure another year of Joe Judge. I mean, how Joe Judge still has a job, but Brian Flores is out there on the market is awful. Uh, The only bright side when I saw Flores got canned was I'm thinking, all right, maybe there's a 0.2% chance the Giants fire Joe Judge and go hire Brian Flores because he should be at the top of absolutely everyone's coaching list. I mean, you look at some of the names we talked about. Guys like Byron Leftwich, Eric Bieniemy, who should have had a job two years ago, uh, Todd Bowles, who deserves another crack at things, right? Jim Caldwell, who I think would be uh, the best solution to really turn things around down in Jacksonville. You, you look at that list of names, and Brian Flores is instantly in the equation. I mean, Brian Flores, any team who's got a competent GM and a roster that is of fringe playoff caliber would be lucky to have Brian Flores. You know who would be lucky to have Brian Flores? I'll give you two right now because they're they're on the cusp of making the playoffs. The Minnesota Vikings and the Denver Broncos. Either of those two teams, I think the Broncos would actually be an even better fit, would be lucky to have Brian Flores because he can take that leap with the team from disappointing, you know, 7-10 and 10 to 10-7 and 7 or 11-6 and 6 even and a playoff team. I mean, look, the Broncos, we talk about it all the time. They're a quarterback away. And the Minnesota Vikings, you know, I know statistically Kirk Cousins had a really good year didn't do it down the stretch. I think the Vikings are a quarterback away and could use a little help on defense. But I mean, the Broncos, you put Brian Flores as the head coach of the Denver Broncos and you give him a quarterback. I mean, look what he did with Fitzpatrick, right? He, he doesn't need much. He just needs a quarterback. The Broncos are a playoff team. So Brian Flores being fired, I think it was terrible. Uh, I think it was clearly political and I think it was just awful for Miami, but great for, you know, the six or so teams out there that are going to need a head coach this year when we come back my final word is going to look at the nfl playoff picture that's right we've talked about the college football championship game we've talked about week 18 and about the coach carousel we're diving into the six games coming up wild card weekend so stick around i'll be right back here on Serralo sports talk Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk.
Alright, it is time for my final word here on this week's episode of Serralo Sports Talk. And it's time that we look at Wild Card Weekend, right? The first round of the playoffs, we've got six games this year spanning over three days. And I can't wait for the Monday Night Football playoff game, the Manning cast of the Cardinals and Rams in the playoffs. I can't wait for the game. I can't wait to see Eli and Peyton talking it up. I can't wait to see their guest list. I, I mean, how are they going to top that Steelers-Browns guest list, right? Bill Cower, Goodell, Snoop Dogg, and Aaron Rodgers. You know, it's a damn good guest list when the NFL commissioner is probably the worst guest that they had. I, I It's going to be such a fun weekend of football. But let's get into it, right? I'm going to give you my Serralo pick six for the weekend against the spread. We're also going to look at who I think is going to win some games because there are certain games, and I'll start off right off the bat, Raiders-Bengals, I, I think the Raiders cover, I think the Bengals win, right? So there's going to be a little, bit of a, a little bit of a difference there. The Raiders are definitely the smarter, safer bet. Now, I know you're thinking, how the hell are the Raiders, who haven't won a playoff game since like 2002, a smarter, safer bet? It's Derek Carr's first playoff game, right? Don't forget the one time in his career that he led the Raiders to the playoffs, he was injured and didn't play in the game. You're going to see the best of Derek Carr in this one. You're going to see guys like Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, who quietly has had an amazing year. They're all going to bring their A game. Max Crosby, that defense is going to be juiced. I mean, the Raiders could have gone totally downhill when Gruden got fired, when Damon Arnett got cut, when Henry Ruggs committed that atrocious act, drinking and driving, killing a mother and a young child. Uh, The Raiders season could have gone to shambles. And instead, Rich Bisaccia who, by the way, even though it's only a half a season, should be mentioned for Coach of the Year, right? We talked about LaFleur and Zach Taylor and Mike Vrabel. Rich Bisaccia deserves some credit there because the Raiders are playing some of the best football in the league right now. Wins over the Colts and Chargers in do-or-die games the final two weeks of the year. Uh, They're just playing inspired, consistent, tough football. And look, the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, two weeks ago, They knocked off the Kansas City Chiefs, right? The Bengals have way more talent than the Raiders, and that's why I think they win this game. And they're another team, like the Raiders, do not have a a great history of postseason success. I mean, when's the last time Cincinnati won a playoff game? Early 90s? Late 80s? Not good. But I think Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon and company, I think they get the job done, but it's going to be a close one. I'm talking a three to four point win. So give me the Raiders plus six. Give me the Bengals money line. Let's look at the Saturday night game. This is a tough one to bet. The Buffalo Bills are going to win, but you have to keep an eye out for the weather in this one. Right now, and look, we've got, you know, five days, four days till the game. Right now, it's looking like a high of 19 and snowy. With a wind chill, could be in the single digits in Buffalo. I mean, this could be closer to the Monday night game in Buffalo than the game a couple weeks ago in New England where Allen was airing it out. That worries me when it comes to Bills minus four, Bills minus four and a half. And right now that number is going back and forth. And I worry, four and a half, I'm thinking Patriots, three three and a half to four, I'm thinking Bills. At the end of the day, I think the Buffalo Bills are going to win this game. Betting it is scary. You know, one thing you have to keep in mind when you're betting wildcard weekend is that last year, the away team went four and two against the spread and the underdog went four and two against the spread now that's not the same number because there were two road favorites the Ravens and the Buccaneers Bucks didn't cover Ravens did cover uh but road teams four and two against the spread and 
underdogs four and two against the spread this year i believe every road team is the underdog yeah this year every road team is the underdog so i'm expecting four and two against the spread from the away teams from the dogs maybe three and three but you got to pick the right ones right so raiders i would hit them pat's bills that's an in-between one for me then you look at sunday's games right and here's a home favorite i love it's the tampa bay buccaneers right the buccaneers have been incredible at home against the spread under brady this year six and two they finished six and one in their last seven home games of course they didn't cover the opening night game against dallas i think the buccaneers beat the eagles by double digits right they played once in lincoln financial in philly they won by six 28 22 they were up 28 7 in the fourth quarter of that game eagles offense could not move the ball the first three quarters so i like tampa right now where it stands at minus eight minus eight and a half i think it's a double digit win also love them in a teaser and who do you pair them with kansas city right i love kansas city in a teaser this is a game i have not made my mind up as to which end of it i'm going to bet right now it's 12 12 and a half 13 kansas city's favored that is a huge number for a playoff game but look they beat the steelers by what 30 something points a couple weeks ago will they do it again steelers are playing really inspired football the last two weeks and the steelers have one of the best pass rushes in the league i don't know i love it as a teaser if you want to tease the bucks and chiefs make it a last year super bowl combo get tampa minus two and a half chiefs minus six and a half i love it but 12 and a half 13 is a big number the 49ers this is my favorite underdog now this has fluctuated between three and four so far right now i'm seeing niners plus three take the points but i like the niners money line in this one dallas i I just don't trust the dallas cowboys in the postseason they have a better quarterback yes but i think the 49ers are a tougher team a more physical team i I just I, i trust shanahan in a playoff position more than i trust mike mccarthy at this point in his career without aaron Rodgers. and i think that the 49ers are going to be enthused after that win down 17 nothing against the rams this is a team that just a couple years ago was in the super bowl give me the niners not just to cover but to win this one outright and then the monday night game you know i don't know who's going to win this one these teams went one and one against each other with the road team winning each game you have the cardinals who started seven and zero and finished 11 and 6 so what 4 and 6 in their last 10 you have the rams who started 7 and 1 finished 12 and 5 so just 5 and 4 in their last 9 neither of these teams are exactly playing inspired great football at the right time so i think this one's going to be really close and this is another underdog i'm hitting to cover the cardinals plus 4 you know i'm hoping that the cardinals went out right although i mean you know being that i'll be at the super bowl next month covering it i've got reason to hope that the rams make it to the super bowl this is going to be a really fun interesting game i love that the manning cast is going to have it on monday night i would say it's going to be a three to four point game so i would go cardinals plus the points so the three teams i'm telling you you got to take plus the points are the raiders even though i think the bengals win the niners who i think will win and the cardinals and then the favorite you got to take is tampa bay buffalo I don't know if it'll be a three or four point win or if it'll be a 10 point win. Buffalo is going to win, but I'm still waiting until the last minute to see the weather before I hit that number. And then the Chiefs Steelers, Kansas City is going to win. I love it as a teaser down to six and a half. I just 12 and a half, 13 is an insane number for the playoffs. But look, either way, I can't wait. We'll see Green Bay and Tennessee in action in a week and a half. And now 
let's make my bracket, right? I I've given you the picks for the weekend. Let's make my bracket. I know that this is what you're waiting for. I'm telling you, Bills win, Bengals win, Chiefs win. I know it's dangerous to go with all the home teams winning, but I'm going to say that they all went out right. In the NFC, I'm going to go with the Niners to upset Dallas, the Cardinals to upset the Rams, and I'm going to go with the Buccaneers to blow out the Eagles. So that brings us to the divisional weekend. It's chalk in the AFC, mayhem in the NFC. I'm going to go Bengals over Titans. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are going to work the uh, the road upset. I know Derrick Henry is supposed to be back, but I just don't love what I've seen out of Tennessee without him. And I think that if the Bengals can really focus in on stopping Derrick Henry, that they can go on the road and stop the Titans. And then I'm going to go the Chiefs to exact revenge on Buffalo in Kansas City. I don't think the Bills are going to go 2-0 in Arrowhead this year which gives us a Chiefs-Bengals AFC Championship game that I think the Chiefs, once again, enjoy their little revenge tour and knock out Joe Burrow and the Bengals. In the NFC, remember, it's lowest seed to highest seed, so it's Niners at Packers. I think it's Green Bay, right? I mean, Green Bay has struggled a lot in recent years in San Francisco, but at Lambeau, whole different animal. Playoffs, whole different animal. So the Packers get revenge from being embarrassed in the NFC Championship game in San Fran a couple years ago. Then the Buccaneers host the Cardinals. I just, I, I don't see Tom Brady losing a playoff game at home. I think the NFC Championship game of a year ago is going to be a rematch between the Packers and the Bucks. I think the Packers win it because they're at home with fans. Last year they were at home but had no fans. And I think we get the Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers matchup we've been dying for that we missed because Aaron Rodgers had COVID earlier this year. The Chiefs beat the Packers in LA. Look, I took Kansas City preseason. I can't stray away from that now, guys. Kansas City going to go to their third straight Super Bowl and make it two out of three. And just like that, this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Make sure you check in with me next week to see how my picks did for Wild Card Weekend. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.